Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Municipal leaders in Sacramento have approved an ordinance that would ban homeless encampments from many public spaces in the city. The Sacramento City Council approved a measure last night allowing for the removal of tents that block sidewalk access and business entrances. Sacramento Mayor Daryl Steinberg says this is just part of the solution regarding homelessness in his city. All the public has the right to access safely the sidewalks of the city of Sacramento. And yet, we all know in our heads and in our hearts and by experience that this in and of itself is not going to solve the problem of the unsheltered or those living with serious mental illness and those dealing with substance use, however you want to define them. Under the ordinance, Sacramento's unsheltered who are cleared from sidewalks would need to be given another place to go, but it's unclear exactly where. Meanwhile, the Sacramento County Board of Supervisors has approved its own measures, including one that would prohibit encampments along the entire American River Parkway. Homeless advocates express concerns about the plans, saying the city and county have still not answered where they're going to find shelter for all those who are caught up in the sweeps. There's a new poll out that shows Californians overwhelmingly support abortion access and that the issue will impact how they vote in the elections this fall. From San Francisco, KQED politics correspondent Marisa Lagos reports. A staggering 81 percent of state voters say abortion access will influence who they vote for this November, an election that will determine the balance of power in Congress. More than two-thirds of California voters disagree with the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade and leave abortion laws up to the states. And over 70% say they will vote in favor of Proposition 1, which would enshrine the right to access both abortion and contraception in the state constitution. That's all according to the latest poll from the Institute of Governmental Studies at UC Berkeley. The poll finds strong support for abortion rights among Democrats and independents, while GOP voters are split, with 49% reporting they will vote against Prop 1. For the California Report, I'm Marisa Lagos.
San Francisco City Attorney David Chu says he supports the idea of a nonprofit operating a safe drug injection site in San Francisco. Governor Gavin Newsom vetoed a bill on Monday that would have approved a pilot program for such sites in San Francisco, Oakland, and Los Angeles, where people could use drugs surrounded by health care workers. San Francisco wouldn't fund or operate the site, Chu says, but he says he wouldn't stop one either. New York City has two safe consumption sites that are run by nonprofits rather than the city. Here's Chu. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen the lives that it is saving. I've seen how it is working well within the surrounding community, uh, how it's improving access to care. With the lives that we're losing on the streets, we've got to try something. More than 1,700 people have died in San Francisco from drug overdoses since 2020. Chu says the deaths, as many as two a day now, have to stop. In recent years, the Sacramento region has debated plans for creating thousands of new affordable housing units and shelter spaces for the homeless. But as CAP Radio's Chris Nichols reports, opposition from neighborhood groups has made carrying out those plans a difficult challenge. It's a quiet, quaint little neighborhood. A lot of the homes built in 1930s, 1940s. When they set out to buy a house during the pandemic, James and McCalla Griffin fell in love with Woodlake, an upscale neighborhood in North Sacramento. But when they learned about plans for a five-story affordable housing complex a couple blocks away, they worried the tranquility they cherished would disappear, with streets possibly clogged with traffic and cars from the apartment complex parked throughout the neighborhood. If I wanted that, I would live downtown or something, you know. (laughs) Many of their neighbors agreed, but the city council, in a narrow vote, gave the project its blessing. While this project will move forward, city leaders and experts say many plans for affordable housing and homeless services never get off the ground, or they're delayed or downsized. That's in part due to pushback from organized neighborhood groups, sometimes referred to as NIMBYs, for their not-in-my-backyard stance on development. UC Berkeley affordable housing expert Carol Galante says this opposition can be a powerful force, one that makes the housing affordability crisis worse. More people can't afford the existing homes, and the prices go up, and people at the bottom of the income spectrum go on the street. Michelle Taylor has lived that reality. Do you have a, a shelter or anything like that that you've been able to connect There's with? There's a shelter that I'm waiting for. Taylor is one of the estimated 9,300 people experiencing homelessness in Sacramento County, a figure that's up 67% over the past three years. Seated at Woodlake Park, Taylor says she supports the plans for the nearby affordable housing project because it could provide stability for people like herself. Think about your family, your mother, your children, people that can't help themselves. Sacramento County has a shortfall of nearly 60,000 affordable housing units, and it's also short several thousand homeless shelter spaces, which are typically full on any given night. Galante of UC Berkeley says Californians are more sympathetic today about the affordable housing crisis, but... When it gets down to the individual development that happens to be next door to you, 
then you're still going to have some opposition. Sacramento City Council member Katie Valenzuela has received pushback in her central city district for supporting affordable housing. She says the projects have an undeniable impact on neighborhoods, but with the right strategies, she says local governments can win over critics. The right way is early engagement, you know, flexibility on things like number of units, number of stories. Still, Valenzuela says there are some neighbors who will never support affordable housing near them, no matter how much it's needed. But for Woodlake homeowners James and McCullough Griffin, embracing a project with the size and density of the one proposed near them, it just isn't realistic. What we're against is having any apartment complex, whether it is affordable housing, you know, luxury apartments in a very small area. Though the project has already been approved, the couple says they're hoping the developer will respond to neighborhood concerns and scale back the size of the complex. For the California Report, I'm Chris Nichols in Sacramento. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. With a week left in this year's legislative session in Sacramento, California immigrant advocates are pushing hard for a bill to end the transfer of non-citizens to immigration custody after they're released from jail or prison. KQED's immigration editor, Taiki Hendricks, reports. If the bill known as the Vision Act is to make it to the governor's desk, it has to pass the state Senate this month. One supporter is East Bay Senator Nancy Skinner. She lamented the deportation last week of Cambodian refugee Pun Yu, who had planned to return to Oakland on his release from San Quentin Prison. California's practice of turning our folks who've served their time over to ICE is just cruel and inhumane, and we've got to stop it. Deportation amounts to a second and very unfair punishment. Oregon and Illinois have laws like the Vision Act, but California police and sheriff's groups oppose the bill. For the California Report, I'm Taiki Hendricks. A little over a week ago, normal life in the border city of Tijuana came to a halt as a drug cartel launched a campaign of terror in the city. Vehicles were set ablaze and gunmen blocked major thoroughfares. That's raised new questions about the power of Mexico's criminal underworld. KPBS border reporter Gustavo Solis in San Diego talked to experts about the reasons for the Tijuana attacks. To comprehend what's happening now, you have to understand the history of Mexican cartels. 
and it begins in the 1970s with the Guadalajara cartel. Professor David Shirk is the director of the Justice in Mexico program at the University of San Diego. He says the Guadalajara cartel had sole control of drug trafficking in Mexico until they killed a DEA agent. That's when the U.S. pressured Mexican leaders to go after them. And in the aftermath, the Guadalajara cartel split into three different criminal organizations that controlled different territories in Mexico. The Ariano Felix family controlled the city of Tijuana. The Ariano Felix family controlled Tijuana until the Sinaloa cartel challenged them in the mid to late 2000s. That fight for Tijuana resulted in some of the deadliest years in the city's history. When one cartel controls a city, there's relative peace. But violence increases when rival groups challenge that dominance. That seems to be what's happening in Tijuana right now. Shirk says that Tijuana's recent violence is linked to a fight between the Sinaloa cartel and a rival organization known as the Cartel Jalisco Nueva Generación. There's the local story, I think, about the changing dynamics of security in Tijuana. There's also a, a larger story about the new generation cartel that is has been, really, for the last uh, several years, trying to assert itself as Mexico's new dominant cartel. But who is this new organization? Vanda Felbab-Brown studies organized crime for the Brookings Institution. She agrees that we're seeing a repeat of what happened in the 2000s when the Sinaloa cartel took on the Arellano Felix organization. But there's one big difference. The cartel Jalisco Nueva Generación is much more violent. The latest escalation is not just the repeat of the uh, so mid-2000s, but in some ways even more dramatic than the mid-2000s, because the new factor that is Cartel Jalisco Nueva Generación. It tries to rule through brutality. It tries to be more brutal than anyone else. Now, the Sinaloa cartel is no stranger to violence, but its leaders prefer to work behind the scenes. They try to buy off politicians and offer food and even social programs to poor communities. In contrast, Cartel Jalisco Nueva Generación used social media and public spectacles of violence to terrorize communities into submission. Life tends to be much more brutal, uh, much more difficult under Cartel Jalisco Nueva Generación's rule. Mexican President Andrés Manuel López Obrador visited Tijuana Friday. He downplayed the violence and said the military is taking care of the issue. Right now, there are 3,000 members of the Mexican National Guard patrolling Tijuana. Yet every expert KPBS spoke with said the current wave of violence is the direct result of the Mexican government's over-reliance on the military to confront organized crime. Cecilia Farfán Méndez is the co-founder of the Mexico Violence Resource Project. She says that Mexico's security strategy is clearly not working. In terms of thinking, what does this mean? I'm like, well, this means that the state increasingly looks weaker in relation to criminal groups. Stephanie Brewer is director for Mexico at the Washington office on Latin America. She also says that doubling down on militarization is a mistake. And unfortunately, what we have seen over the past really 10, 15 years is a lot of repetition of the same go-to strategies, which consists largely of military deployment. She says that there's no clear evidence that the strategy even works. The data do not show any kind of significant positive impact. So what's the takeaway? Was last week's violence a sign of more to come or just a flash in the pan? Shirk and the other experts aren't sure. They have no way of knowing, and that's by design. What's going on in this criminal underworld, in the shadows here, is like impossible for us to really know what's going on because it, it's, a, it's like shadow puppetry. Yet, a couple of things are clear. As long as rival cartels are fighting for control of Tijuana, we should expect more violence to continue until someone comes out on top. For The California Report, I'm Gustavo Solis in San Diego. Support for The California Report comes from Personal Capital. 
providing people with financial tools like the Retirement Planner to help them achieve their financial goals. Personalcapital.com Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute. Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel Falcor 2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration on the web at schmidtocean.org. And finally this morning, Artie Moreno, the longtime owner of the Los Angeles Angels, says he's exploring the possibility of selling the Orange County team. In a statement, Moreno says it's been an honor and a privilege to own the Angels, but he and his family believe now is the time to consider selling the franchise. Moreno bought the team for more than $180 million from the Walt Disney Company in 2003. While the team had some success in the early years of the Moreno ownership, the Angels Angels have failed to make the playoffs since 2014. And that is the California Report for Wednesday, August 24th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day out there. Hi there. I'm Randa Fettah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.